you want to follow him in it, or you can follow him in whatever one you have. But uh, it just makes it simpler to put it in the English that we're using today. I uh, told Brother Doug this afternoon, uh, teaching about the tabernacle is that's one of the toughest teaching jobs I've ever tackled. <laughs> and uh, it gets a little redundant at times, but yet uh, it's all God's word, all God's work that he is doing. And as uh, he told Moses how to build the tabernacle and evidently provided all of the, the materials that that was needed, or at least the people brought the materials. But uh, let's begin in, in verse 15 tonight of Exodus chapter 26. You're to make upright supports of the casey wood for the tabernacle. Each support, I gotta get this up here where I can see it. Each support is to be 15 feet long and 27 inches wide. Each support will have two tenons for joining. Do the same for all supports of the tabernacle. Make the supports for the tabernacles as follows. 20 supports for the south side. Make 40 silver bases under the 20 supports. Two bases under the first support for its two tenons. And two bases under the next support for its two tenons. 20 supports for the second side of the tabernacle, the north side, along with their 40 silver bases. Two bases along with their 40, uh, two bases under this first support and two bases under each support. And make six supports for the west side of the tabernacle. Make two additional supports for the back two corners, two back corners of the tabernacle. They're to be paired <coughs> at the bottom and joined together at the top in a single ring, so it should be for both of them. They will serve as the two corners. There are to be eight supports with their silver bases, 16 bases, two bases under the first support and two bases under each support. I'm gonna pause there. The, uh, The, uh, this is the framework for the tabernacle. It's uh, amazing what God told them to, to use and to some of the dimensions there. Uh, this acacia wood, we've talked about that before, that it's, uh, it's an incorruptible wood and it represents Christ that he is the incorruptible uh, Christ. Each of these boards were 15 feet long and 27 inches wide. Can you imagine the trees that those come out of? That's big boards. And I asked Doug this afternoon, I said, where'd they find trees like that out in the desert? <laughs> but God had them somewhere out there. 
or he wouldn't have told them to use this kind of wood. He wouldn't have told them that they could get these kind of dimensions out of it. But he's talking about the sides of this uh, tabernacle, this, this framework that is going up to support the curtains that we've talked about for the last two or three weeks. And they'll come down over the framework. There was to be uh, 20 supports on each side, the south side and the north side. And remember, wherever this tabernacle went, wherever they set it up, it always faced in the same direction. The opening going into it was to the east. The Holy of Holies was on the west end of it. And there's a north side and a south side. And wherever they camped, they would set up this tabernacle. And we'll get into it and we get a little farther over in here. But every tribe had a chosen place that they were to camp. And it was all in relation to where the tabernacle was. Some of them camp on the eastern end, some on the western end, some on the north and on the south. But every tribe, they would always camp in those same positions. And when they'd march out, they would march out in, in order and go out that way. God just uh, had that thing so beautifully uh, planned out. And it was something that brought glory and honor to him. As we've said that in every piece of this tabernacle, we find Jesus. Now these boards, as they were placed there to make this framework, there were silver sockets or silver stands that each of these boards set in. Each board had two tenons on the bottom of it, two protrusions that would go down into these silver sockets. And do you remember what the silver represents? It represents redemption. Where'd the silver come from? Well, every man was to pay a temple tax. That's a half shekel of silver. So the silver came from the offerings that they would bring. And they made these silver stands out of it, silver blocks that, that these boards would sit down on and it would support them. Somebody might say, well, what was the reason of that? Well, it shows that God had us to redeem us, that God paid the price for us. It's a ransom. These boards didn't touch the ground. They were kept suspended above the ground in these silver sockets as they, they sat down in there. I don't know how much space there was between these uh, boards as they stood up. I know the picture that you have, it shows 
a room in between them, kind of like a scaffolding, if you will, as they put up this uh, support walls. Because the beauty of that was that, that fine linen that made the first part of that curtain, and then the other colors, the blue, red, and purple, and all those was in there. And then the red badger skins, and then the goat hair that came down on the outside. And all of this was beautiful to look at. You, you can see the picture there on that uh, piece of paper if you still have it. And it all reminded them of God and what God was doing in their lives and what God was doing for them as he came to live among them. He's come to dwell there. Now we see that in Jesus over in John chapter 1. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Or tabernacled among us. So we're, we're seeing Jesus in the Old Testament here. We're seeing him portrayed in everything concerning this uh, tabernacle. You have any questions or comments that you'd like to make? Maybe you see something in this that I don't, or you might have a question, Bob. I was reading in Ezra this morning, uh -huh. in chapter 6, where Darius wanted to know about how the temple was going to be built. Mm -hmm and he gave them permission to build it. And it says, let the house be rebuilt as a place for offering sacrifices, and let its original foundation be retained. Its height is 90 feet, and its width is 90 feet. Yeah. That's pretty big. Yeah, that's the temple. Yeah. And uh, that was destroyed and that's the one that Solomon built, wasn't it, uh, the temple? But it was built after the same pattern as the tabernacle. This, this went into the temple, didn't it? Yeah, this was used for hundreds of years until Solomon built the temple, and then the tabernacle ceased to exist. But uh, it must have been built out of very durable materials <laughs> for it to last that long and to be assembled and disassembled as many times as it was because every time they moved and set up camp again it was put back together and uh, they, it, it, uh, it's just mind-boggling when you begin to study study this out but I, I think about this framework the stability that it brought to to the tabernacle and when we talk about stability Who's more stable than Jesus? No one. He, he is our stability. So there's lots of framework going up here. We could spend a lot of time on that. still just as precise in everything and uh, sometimes we we take it for granted 
that God's going to overlook things when, when we don't care about them. You know, we think God don't care about it. But God is very detailed. Everything he does. If you don't believe it, let me challenge you to do something. Next time you're down to the ocean, wherever it's at, just find you a good spot to where you can sit and watch the waves come in and time them and see just how orderly those waves come in. I sat down at Myrtle Beach back in October, sat up on the balcony where we were staying and just, just watched those waves come in. I don't care what time of day it was or what time of night, every six seconds a wave come rolling in. I've done that at other beaches and it's still the same. Every six seconds a wave comes in. That's precision. Okay. Thank you, Celia. Other other questions or comments? Okay, let's uh where'd we get to? Twenty six. Okay. These boards that are standing up right now, they have to have something to help support them. So God gave them some crossbars here. You're to make five crossbars, in case you would, for the supports on one side of the tabernacle. Five crossbars for the supports on the other side of the tabernacle. And five crossbars for the supports of the back side of the tabernacle on the west. The central crossbar is to run through the middle of the supports from one end to the other. Then overlay the supports with gold and make the rings of gold as the householders or as the holders for the crossbars. Also overlay the crossbars with gold. You're to set up the tabernacle according to the plan for it that you have been shown on the mountain. So these crossbars they connected these boards together and stabilized them, held them in place. There was a center crossbar that run from end to end. And these crossbars were also plated with gold. And we've talked about that on other occasions that they're made out of that acacia wood. And then the gold is the, uh, showing the divinity of Jesus Christ, that he was God in flesh. He came and dwelled among us. And these crossbars held those uprights at a certain distance, kept them in place. But it also uh, gave them stability, that one that run all the way through there. A long crossbar. I don't know how they got that done, but I'm sure they did. But what does the crossbars, what's that mean to you? What's it say to you about Jesus? He, he is our support. He is our support, that's right. I believe it's over in uh, Colossians where it talks about that in him everything consists Everything holds together. Uh, he's, he's the glue 
so to speak, that, that holds mankind together, that holds the world together. Now there's some curtains that uh, are built here. These curtains are very special. Verse 31, you're to make a curtain of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and finely spun linen with a design of cherubim worked into it. Now we saw this last week, didn't we? This was in the curtains here. Well, these are in the curtains around that outside edge out there. You're to make a curtain of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. They told them to bring all of these, this uh, uh, yarn in different colors. And they weave all of this together to make uh, this with finely spun linen, the design of a cherubim that is worked into it. We saw that also in the covering of the Holy of Holies there, that it was made like that. Hang it on four gold-plated pillars of acacia wood that have gold hooks and that stand on four silver bases. So this curtain, this outside curtain, is to hang on four gold-plated pillars of acacia wood. These, these pillars were made out of those big boards, just like the others were, but they were into a column. They had gold hooks on them, and they stood on four silver bases. They didn't touch the ground either. They were on the silver bases, showing that redemption, showing that uh, our sin is atoned for through Jesus Christ. Hang the curtain under the clasp. Bring the Ark of the Testimony there behind the curtain. Now, the Ark of the Testimony, we've studied about that, how that it was made and it was to go into the Holy of Holies. It contained the Ten Commandments. What else did it contain? Manna. Manna. And what else? Aaron's rod. Aaron's rod. And all of these are very unique. Aaron's rod did what? It budded. Had almonds on it, didn't it? <laughs> Even though it didn't have any roots. The manna. This is how God fed them for 40 years in the wilderness. It was, that was their diet. Go down to McDonald's and you got you a, a manna burger. <laughs> but they lived on this. It sustained them for 40 years out there in the wilderness. The amazing thing about the manna that was in that pot there what happened to the manna if they gathered too much? It spoiled, didn't it? Worms got in it and all like that. But God evidently made a special batch that he put in that 
that uh, container because it stayed there. And then the Ten Commandments that God would give Moses and he's still working on those. You'll find later on here that God gives them to him. But as those commandments changed, no, they're eternal, aren't they? Some people say, well, you know, that was over in the Old Testament. Well, it doesn't matter. It's still the same God. He doesn't change, no. And all of those commandments except one are mentioned in the New Testament. Which one of those are not mentioned in the New Testament? Yeah, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. It's not mentioned in the New Testament. We celebrate the Lord's resurrection on the first day of the week, which we call Sunday. But all these things God has just given to his people here. These curtains, he says, hang the curtain under the clasp, bring the ark of the testimony there behind the curtain. So the curtain will make a separation for you between the holy place and the most holy place. Now what is this curtain called in the New Testament? The veil. The veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place. What happened when Jesus died on the cross? It tore from top to bottom, didn't it? And I understand that that one in the temple was much thicker than this one that we're talking about here. I've read where some Bible scholars say that it was perhaps two feet thick. That didn't just tear all by itself. But it ripped from top to bottom. So for in order for it to tear from top to bottom, he had to start at the top, didn't it? That says to me it was God's hand that reached down and tore that veil. And what is that symbolizing? Up until that time, only the high priest could go in there. One time a year, and he had to take a blood sacrifice. But when Jesus died on the cross and that veil was rent, that opens the way for you and I. You see, the Bible calls us priests. We're holy priesthood, the Bible says. And we can go directly to God. We don't have to go down to a certain building and tell the priest about it and let him go talk to God for us. We have that authority to go to our God directly. And I'm so glad of that. Now, we have to approach God with respect and love and adoration and those kind of things. And we'll talk about that at another time. We don't just go barging in on, on God. But he talks about 
the mercy seat then. Put the mercy seat on the ark of the testimony in the most holy place. The mercy seat. Aren't you glad that God is merciful? We have a merciful and faithful high priest. His name is Jesus. And that mercy seat goes on top of the Ark of the Covenant. Place the table. The table held what? Showbread. Place the table outside the curtain, outside that veil. And the lampstand, what's the lampstand represent? What's these lights represent? Illumination. <laughs> Illumination, yeah. That's a good word, Bob. Light. The only light that was in the tabernacle come from those candlesticks or lampstands. The showbread, that was the bread that was made for the priest and they put it on that table and it stayed there a week and then they would eat it and put fresh bread on that table. Jesus is the bread of life. So we're seeing all this. He's also the light of the world, you see. Place the table outside the curtain and the lampstand on the south side of the tabernacle, opposite the table. So, if the lampstand's on the south side, which side is the table on? North, yeah. See, God's got it all planned out. Put the table on the north side. That's just what the next few words said, isn't it? Now, for the entrance, the place where mankind came in. Notice these last couple of verses here. For the entrance to the tent, you're to make a screen embroidered with blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and finely spun linen. Now, what's the difference between this curtain, or this veil, than the one of the holiest of holies. That's right, it doesn't have the cherubim on it. It's a different one. Make five pillars of acacia wood for the screen and overlay them with gold. There again we see the Christ. Their hooks are to be gold and you're to cast five bronze bases for them. Now, isn't that unusual? All the others stood on silver bases. But here, as you go in to the tabernacle, those are on bronze bases. And what is it we said bronze represents? Judgment. Before we can get into See, with, to meet with God, we have to judge ourselves guilty. We have to pass through judgment. Even the Bible speaks of that even in death. And it's appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. 
to go into the tabernacle, a person had to realize their sinfulness. Had to, in other words, to confess it. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it speaks of the cleansing that we need before we can come into the presence of God. Anyone with a question or comment you'd like to share with us? has special meaning and when you start to enter the holy temple it's bronze and it goes to silver and it goes to gold mm. yeah yeah that bronze altar that's where our sins were atoned for on that altar you see and, uh, true Bob thank you yes sir I was thinking I may be making it more dramatic than it was, I don't know. But it looks like the most difficult part when they would have to disassemble and reassemble the tabernacle would be that veil because every time they would be reminded they were putting that up and they were being separated from God. Now, when they took it down to move, maybe they thought of well, they thought back to Eden where God promised the Messiah that will crush the head of the evil and you know I, if they realize that symbolism I don't know I think it's interesting too that they put the, the cherubim on that veil when uh, isn't that after Adam and Eve left Eden wasn't there a cherubim that was guarding mm -hmm. you know keeping them from coming back into God's presence. Absolutely. Yeah, that would that would be hard thinking every time we've got to put this back up to separate ourselves from God and be reminded of it. Okay. Good thoughts, Jonathan. Thank you. Anyone else? Well, ladies, how's your prayer meetings going? Good. I went by and saw Wanda today. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. That's that's one of the things that keeps coming up in our study on return to God is uh, the need for prayer. And uh, we're I'm grateful that God is pointing these things out to us. It's one thing to have them pointed out to us; it's something else to do something about it. And uh, that's that's what we need to hold up our end of that. To, to do what God tells us to do. And he, he's the one that knows best. So uh, I, I'm looking forward to, to what God is going to do through this church to bring glory to him, Bob. I think God was so specific about everything that he did. I think in our prayers, we need to be more specific on what we're asking. Yeah. I heard a fellow on radio the other day, and he was—he uh, quoted one of the old, old writers from years gone by, and he said something like this: 
Every Wednesday we meet and say the same prayers and we leave unchanged because we don't expect anything from God. And I thought, wow, that's, <laughs> that's pretty much right on the mark. Uh, we need to start learning to expect God to answer our prayers and believe He will. Okay. All right. Let's stand and we'll be dismissed in a word of prayer. Brother Lawrence, would you like to lead us in prayer? Yes. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day. It is a good day. Every day is a good day through you, Lord. And uh, the sick and the shut-in, Lord. If you see fit, give them a day of rest. And uh, we pray for them in this country, Lord. It's going to get better if they get back to you, Lord. And uh, just help us on that. These things we pray in our gracious and holy name, Lord. Amen. Amen. Good night. God bless you. Having choir practice tonight? Yes, sir. Choir practice for those who are in the choir.